Now you can hear me when I talk. Well, I had all manner of jokes and stuff prepared, and after that song, we're not going to make jokes. Let's pray. Lord, we sing praise to your name this morning. When I think of your goodness in my life, and I think of your goodness in the life of my family, when I think of the way you have redeemed me, I praise you, Lord. I praise you for your work. I praise you for your goodness in my life. I praise you for your word, that we are not left in the dark to fumble around and guess at who you are and guess at what you want from us and uh, guess about this life and guess who we are. You have told us in your word these things. And so we praise you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would do your work in our midst by your spirit. Pray that we would set aside those things in our minds that distract us, that you would help us to focus in on what you have to say to us today. Lord, we, we, we come here uh, to hear you speak to us from your word. And so I pray that, uh, that you would have your way this morning. I pray that your spirit would move in what I say and in what we hear, that we would interact with it, that we would be open and sensitive to what you have for us, that you would be honored uh, with the result and that we would be built up that we would be caused to grow together in the faith that our, our church would, uh, would grow and mature into uh, all the fullness of Christ as we read about in Ephesians. Pray that you would do your work. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your great work in our lives. Thank you for salvation in Jesus. And thank you that you sent him for us, that we could be redeemed, reconciled, and, and brought into right relationship with you. Not because of what we've done, not because we've kept some rules or, or uh, accomplished some things or whatever, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we seek to honor him, and we seek to honor you this morning. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and take out in your bulletin, you have an outline there. Most of you are familiar with the outline, and I left some blanks in there so that you can fill in the blanks. I know some people really like to do that, and it kind of keeps you engaged and makes me think you're taking notes when I see you write stuff down, so it makes me feel better too. And so that's why you have blanks in your, in your outline there. You'll notice um, the last point or the last item on your outline is my takeaways. I've called it my takeaways. And so we're going to do something a little bit different with our sermon this morning that I'm not going to tell you what those are. So what I want you to do is as we're going through our time, as we're looking at God's word, when the Holy Spirit says something particularly to you that's relevant to your life, I want you to go to that last spot, even though we may be on point two, sub point B or whatever, I want you to go all the way and write down what that was. All right, so that is a place for you to take notes of what God is saying to you. I don't know where you are in your life, and I don't know what takeaway you're supposed to have from this message. I could guess, and I could make some stabs at it and, and things like that, but uh, really with the message today, it being about being filled by the Spirit, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to uh, take that opportunity and write those things down. So, so keep your mind on that. When I say something, and, and it kind of makes you a little uncomfortable in your seat because maybe that's you and it probably shouldn't be you, write that down, right? Or when there's something really encouraging that you just need to hold on to and you need to remember and you need to remind yourself of throughout the week, write that thing down too, okay? My takeaways, that's for you and write down whatever you want there and I won't think that you're um, 
you know, doodling or anything like that if you're writing somewhere else. Uh, so that's, that's for you, all right? So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we've been working through Ephesians for some months now. As, as Woody and I have both said before, we don't tend to fly through stuff too quickly. You probably noticed that. Uh, but we're going to do a paragraph today, and it's a paragraph, uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. I actually wrote a paper on this when I was in grad school, and I probably spent about 100 hours of preparation on this paper, and it's a 20-page paper with all manner of footnotes and various languages and all kinds of stuff, and, and, uh, but I, I only have three pages of notes. I didn't bring all 20 pages to give to you. <laughs> Amen. I hear, I hear that, okay? <laughs> I hear that. All right. Before we get to our passage, we're going to be, like I said, 15 through 21 is what we're going to be looking at of Ephesians chapter 5 today. I kind of wanted to go back and do a little review. And I know I do this nearly every time, but it's because I do it in my mind. I need context. Okay, one thing we learned in grad school, one thing we learned in Bible study methods, and I talked about when we were teaching hermeneutics with the high schoolers, is that context is king. Okay, when we're studying scripture, you need to know what's around it. Otherwise, it's very easy to take it and misappropriate or misunderstand it or misapply it and not really get what's going on. So, so I try and, and go through the context that how we got to where we are in the conversation in the book. Anytime I open the Bible and read it, I try and review in my mind so I can figure out where we are and what's being said. And so, uh, to think back through Ephesians, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to cover everything, but if you'll flip back to chapter one. And I thought I would summarize verses 3 through 14, okay? Summarize 3 through 14. If you ever want to be encouraged in your faith, open to chapter 1 and read verses 3 through 14. There is some serious encouragement in there of what God has done for us, all these blessings that are ours, right? So let me read it. I'm kind of going to read it quickly, but, but I want us to, uh, to get this in our minds, okay? Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so that is what God has done. That's a summary of these blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us to be holy. He predestined us to be adopted as his children. He redeemed us and forgave us of our sins in Christ. He made known to us his will to unite all things in Christ. He gave us an eternal inheritance, that is heaven. And he sealed us with the Holy Spirit as a promise that he would keep his word and that we would finally receive that inheritance. You want to be encouraged, go to that. 
There is encouragement in there. The riches of the blessings that God has given us in Christ. It's amazing. And then we turn to chapter 2. In the first several verses there, we read about how we were dead. And we followed the course of this world and we obeyed the God of this world and we, we lived like the world and, and we were kind of, we were fine with that because we were dead and we were in our sins. And then you get to verse four of chapter two. But God, because of his rich mercy, made us alive together in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. It's amazing what God has done. He saved us by his very great grace. And so with that in mind, with having those things in mind of what God has accomplished on our behalf, what he has done in our lives, what he has done for Christians in Christ. With all of that in mind, we come to chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so it's with that background in mind that we come to our passage today and he tells us, look carefully how you walk. So let's talk about the careful walk. What does that mean? What does the careful walk mean? Well, first of all, it means to walk Christianly. I'm not sure if that's a real word, but you understand what I mean to walk Christianly, right? Walk in the New Testament and particularly in Paul and particularly in this book, walk is like a metaphor for living our lives, behaving To live this way is what he's talking about. He's not talking about one foot in front of the other. He's talking about your life, your lifestyle. And he's been talking about it quite a bit, right? In chapter 2 and verse 10 of Ephesians, he said, God has created us in Christ for good works, laid out by God beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he said in 4.1 that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called in humility and gentleness to walk in a manner that's worthy. In 4.17, he said, we are not to walk like the Gentiles do in darkness and the futility of their minds. Rather, we are to walk in love, 5.1, like Christ did. In 5.8, we are to walk as children of light, pursuing what is good and right and true. And so he starts off this paragraph again by reminding us how important our walk is, how important our life is. What he wants us to think about is all of these blessings that we have in Christ, these things that he has done on our behalf, right? In giving us salvation in accomplishing this amazing salvation, taking us from being dead and enemies of God to now being alive and being his children. All these things that he has done in light of all of that, it should have impact and will have impact on your life, on the way you live, on your walk. And so he says, that's not just going to happen just because. He said, pay attention to it. Look carefully. Observe carefully. Think about these things. Think about how you're living. Think about how you're walking. And he's given us a lot of examples. This isn't the first time he's talked about it. It's about the fifth time in this book or sixth time that he's talked about our walk. He says, pay attention to it. It's important. And one of the things he wants us to do is to walk wisely. 
He wants us to walk wisely. Look how he says here. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, probably you guys know what wisdom is. We've, we've talked about it before, and I know you've various Sunday school classes, and you know in your, in your mind wisdom is essentially skill for living, right? It's, it's how to live life in a skillful way. It's not just knowledge. It's not just something you know, right, as a as one of uh, the high school students told me, the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that a... Probably this came from your family. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Okay? I heard some amens there too. So it's skill for living. How to live life in a way that's, that's, that's beneficial, that's not destructive, that helps you. Right. It's a wise way. It's a it's a skillful way of living life. Right. But it it means a little bit more here. I I went back and I've talked about this before, but I say it and repeat it because I want you guys to do the same thing. When I was trying to figure out what does wisdom mean in Ephesians, what I did was went to a website. You could do this on a Bible app or if you have searching capabilities on a Bible app on your phone or a website to do this. Or if you have a concordance, if you believe in paper and books and stuff. You could probably do that, I guess, you know, um, and go and look up wisdom or wise and words like that wise related words in Ephesians. And what you'll find is that again and again, wisdom in Ephesians is talking about God's wisdom. First of all, not usually your wisdom or my wisdom, but talking about God's wisdom. And it's directly related to his wisdom in salvation in putting together this plan of, of saving people from being his enemies and being dead and bringing them into his kingdom, giving them life and making them his children, right? It's talking about God's wisdom and salvation. It's, it's his wisdom in taking Jews and Gentiles who until that time had been at great enmity with one another. They had been separate people. The Jews were the people of God. The Gentiles were, were outcasts. They were excluded from the people and all this kind of, this kind of stuff that was kind of going on between Jews and Gentiles. And he, God figured out in his wisdom how to make it so that salvation would go from the Jews to the Gentiles and even draw the Jews along with it so that there would be a great uh, body of Christ that would be consisting of Jews and Gentiles, many, many multitudes praising him. And so when you get to the book of Revelation and you see at the end that there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping him in heaven. And this is God's great wisdom that he did this how he worked this out. And so when we talk about wisdom and, and, and being wise in the book of Ephesians, it usually has to do with God and it has to do with salvation. And so when he says we are to live as not as unwise, but as wise, one of the great things he's challenging us to do is to be mindful of the working of God in salvation, that, that we would not go through life distracted from or not thinking about the salvation of the lost that that salvation for us wouldn't be one attribute or something that we add to our own list about who we are yeah i'm a this and i'm a that and i'm also a christian i'm a this and i no but that it would be central that being a christian would be central foundational to who we are that conversation would be undergirded always by the gospel that we would be talking about salvation that we would be when we meet someone new or when we look at a situation or when we look at crises in the world or all those kind of things when we look at that that we would be thinking in terms of gospel truths in relation to those when we look about news in the middle east and, we, and horrific things that happen we don't interpret those exclusive of the gospel 
we interpret those through the lens of the gospel. And that's what he's encouraging us to do, to live not as unwise, but as wise, right? This work that God has done in salvation, that we would have that on our minds as we go through life, as we make decisions, which brings us to the next point. He says, redeem the time, redeem the time. Look carefully then how you walk. Verse 15, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time, literally, it says. Buy back that time. It's slipping by. Make the best use of it. And I think this, this comes right out of living as wise, not as unwise. Understanding. That, that, that term there, the days are evil, that's a, that's a reference. It's an eschatological reference, meaning it's an in-time in times reference talking about basically we have this age and we have the age to come this age we are on this earth right and we are redeemed out of this age but we still live here and we still see the corruption that goes on in this world and and we still see the influence of the enemy on this world all you have to do is look out your door or in your own heart and you'll see that going on that we live in this in this time right now it's fleeting we don't know when it's going to end, and uh, we, we don't know how, um, what, what the, the influence of the enemy is going to be like, right? We need to be wary, those kind of things, right? Not that we need to be scared, but understand that we live now in this age, and there is an age to come where Christ rules completely and utterly, and there is no opposition to him. There is no rebellion against him, right? That's the age to come. That's, that's the heavenly kingdom, but that's to come. Right now, we live in this time, and these days are evil, they're flying. We don't know when life is going to end, right? It could end in a traffic accident this afternoon. It, it could end in 50 years. It could end, we don't know how and when this life is going to end. And not only that, but as time goes on in this world, the enemy and his minions have great influence. And we see things like we see in the Middle East, like we hear about in the news, like we see with, uh, with, the, with all manner of evils and ills of society. The days are evil. And so he says, redeem the time, redeem the time. You have opportunity now you have gospel opportunity now. And he wants us, he encourages us to redeem that time by that. He means, like I said, when you look at a problem, when you look at a situation, when you look at a relationship, think about it through the lens of the gospel. When we're thinking about a particular decision, think in terms of the gospel. Do I do this thing or do I do that thing? Well, Let's don't just make a decision irrespective of the gospel, irrespective of, uh, of the truths of scripture. Let's think in terms of the gospel. When we're developing a new relationship, think in terms of the gospel. When we're contemplating a career move, think in terms of the gospel. How will this decision affect my ability to share the gospel? How will this decision affect my ability to contribute to gospel work? It's a legitimate, legitimate concern. How will, how will this decision affect my ability to develop new gospel opportunities? Right? I may like doing something that I have a great job opportunity to move to a deserted island and I'm the only one there. I'm going to make zillions of dollars, right? Or whatever, but I'm the only one there. Well, I, I don't know that I want to live in that kind of context. I'd be lonely, first of all. But, uh, but what, what sort of influence for the gospel am I going to have if I'm on a deserted island? I, I don't know. I'm not saying that every time you might not choose to do that, but but uh, think in terms of the gospel. How might this decision affect my testimony to those that I might choose to share the gospel with? 
right? Taking this new career move, right? Making this new change. Wow, really, Brennan, you did that? And now you want to tell me about Jesus? Think in terms of a gospel. The days are evil. If you'll look over, probably just across the page at chapter 6, this, the days being evil and the spiritual forces at work in this world right now, this is not a new theme in Ephesians, and he's not done with it in Ephesians. Look at chapter 6 and verse 12, just briefly. He's going to hit on it again. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the world we live in. That sounds bleak, but that's the world we live in. That's this age. These days are evil. And so make the most use of your time that you can. So he's talking about paying attention to our walk, having a careful walk. And then he moves on and he starts talking about a spirit-filled walk. Let's look at verses 17. We're back in chapter 5. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. First of all, understand God's will. Understand God's will. Now, he's not talking here about trying to discern God's will about some particular decision in your life. Do I buy this car or do I buy that car? Do I make this move or do I make that move? Do I? He's not talking about those kind of little intricate things here. That's not what he's talking about. Understand God's will. He's talking in a larger context. He's talking much more broadly than that. Again, go back to your concordance or uh, your, your app on your phone and, and search for the will of God in Ephesians. And you'll see again and again, it almost again has to do always with salvation. It's God's will. It's God's will to draw Jew and Gentile together to make one people. It's God's will that he would take those who were dead and his enemies and make them alive and his children. Understand what God's will is. Understand God's will. Think about that. This is another reminder for us to keep the gospel in the front of our minds, to, to think in those sorts of terms, that, that we wouldn't just live our lives and, and just try and navigate from one step to the next in our lives and do the best that we can and this and that, but instead that we would see the broader picture, that we would be thinking in gospel terms, that we would be thinking about the fact that, that people around me Many of them are lost. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see the gospel lived out in my life. Maybe I need to help them. Maybe I need to, to meet some of their needs. Maybe I need to step into their lives and serve them in some way for the purpose of the gospel. I need to keep the gospel in mind and have it not just be one part of many parts of my life. I got to keep my finances in order. I got to, I got to raise my children well. I, I need to take care of my wife. And, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. That's why the red shirt. Uh, another subtle reminder there. Thanks, Monty. Did you say, did you say fortunately? <laughs> Where was I? 
<laughs> yes. Oh, subtle reminders. That's right. Sub subliminal. They're supposed to be subliminal. Not ear, you know, drum bursting. <laughs> All right. The point is about understanding God's will is that we are to be gospel centered people, not people who have added the gospel on top of our lives somewhere, tacked it on the outside somewhere. I have a bulletin board in my office. It's got all manner of things stuck on it. The gospel should not be one of those things stuck on my bulletin board. Okay. The gospel is the center of my life. It's the center of what I'm doing. He says, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on and he says, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Now, that word translated debauchery can just as easily be, be translated dissipation. But that means nothing to me. So I looked up dissipation and it, it's, been, uh, it's been translated as dis dissipation for a long time. And dissipation means like a waste, like to, to, dis to disperse, right? And, and be of no use, right? If you have, if you have uh, gasoline contained in a, in a can, it can be of use to you. But if you spill it all out, you've it's, dis it's no longer of use to you, right? That's kind of the idea. It's useless. It's pointless. And so what I think he's saying here about being drunk, right? He's saying, don't get drunk. That's pretty clear, right? Don't have to delve too deeply to see that it says, do not get drunk, right? And for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it's dissipation, it's a waste, right? We've talked about the fact that this life, in this life, in this age, the days are evil. And so redeem the time. Make the best use of the time, right? We are to be gospel-centered people. We're to be intentional about the gospel. We're to be intentional about our lives. And if you're drunk, you have been removed from that picture. You are useless as a, as a gospel representative. See what I mean? It's dissipation. You had a limited amount of time in your life, and you decided to spend this time drunk? That's what he's saying. It's a waste he just said, make the best use of that time, and you didn't, right? You just spent it in a stupor. That's the first part. That's the dissipation part. Debauchery is a much stronger word, both legitimate translations of, of this word that only occurs twice in the New Testament. But debauchery, now that, that brings up some other pictures in your mind, right? And you, you don't even have to go out of the Bible. You don't even have to go out of Ephesians to find debauchery referred to and, and what all it means, right? It's, uh, it's what we talked about in uh, chapter 4 and, and verse 17. If you'll flip back there real quick. Remember he was talking about walking. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Right? And he's spelled out several different times the things that they have, that the Gentiles do, what their lifestyle is like. And even in our passage that we looked at last week. Right? The things that the Gentiles do, living like children of darkness, including sexual immorality and impurity and coveting and idolatry and all the stuff that goes with that, that whole sphere of stuff, right? What he's saying here is when you make the influence in your life that booze, when you're under its influence, when you're drunk, you are much more greatly tempted to go back to this lifestyle, to live as the Gentiles do. To speak the way the Gentiles, unbelievers, speak, right? To be tempted by sexual temptation, right? How often? I've, I've heard it said, I, don't, I haven't verified this, but I've heard it said by a counselor that every 
instance of adultery, of an affair, involves alcohol somehow. Uh, I can't verify that. He just said it. I don't know. But I can imagine it. I can certainly see that that's the case, that being under the influence of alcohol makes you much more susceptible to the influence uh, of that temptation, of sexual immorality, of those sorts of things. And that's what he's talking about. He says, don't be drunk with, drunk with wine. That's, that's just debauchery. You're a, you, you just made yourself more susceptible to these kind of temptations to go back and live the way that I just said don't live. And that's what we do when we're, when we're drunk. He says, don't get drunk. This is debauchery. This is, this is dissipation. But instead, let us see, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. Now, your, your version and my version, I know mine does and yours probably does, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Probably your version says, with the Spirit. This is an odd thing. Almost every translation in English says, with the Spirit. The idea being, uh, like, we, like, like we're a jar, and we're being filled with the, the contents of the Spirit. That we're being having liquid poured in or something, being filled with the Spirit. That the Spirit is filling us up. That's, that's the idea of with, being filled with the Spirit. So that's what almost all the versions say, all the, the English translations. But then you go look at the commentaries, and the commentaries can't understand why all the versions do that, why all the translations do that, because it seems clear from the passage that we are being filled by the Spirit, that He is the agent who's doing the filling of us. It's not that the Holy Spirit is a liquid being poured into our lives, and we're a container, and we're almost filled to the top, and here we are. He's not the content of the filling. He's the one doing the filling. He's the one who's filling our lives. And so that's why I've written there, be filled by the Spirit. He's the one doing it. It's the Spirit of God who's doing it. Well, what's he filling us with? Just a couple of references. Maybe write these down. I'll read them for you real quick. In uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, just one page back, he talks about knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God filled with all the fullness of God and then 413 probably on the same page 413 he says he's talking about uh, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ what he's referring to here is God working fully in our lives, that we would be fully influenced by God in the way we speak, the way we interact with one another. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks the way we interact with our family, husbands and wives. If you want to learn about husband-wife relationship, we're going to talk about that from Scripture next week, right? Parents and children, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about relationships between uh, between slaves and masters, okay, we probably don't have that issue going on, but there's a strong uh, correlate in our in our culture. All right, we're going to talk about those sort of things because God influencing our lives that way affects every decision that we make. It affects all of our relationships. It affects it affects everything that we do. It's the fullness of God, and what He's talking about there in chapter three and chapter four, those verses that we looked at. It's the fullness of Christ being developed in us so that we become more and more like him as God influences our life. Remember who the agent was of the filling? The agent's the Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the work. 
He didn't say, Brennan, here's a basket. Go fill it up with the fullness of Christ. Enjoy that, right? Grab that fruit, put it in there, add it together, keep filling up. That's not what he said to do. I'm not toting around a basket, filling it up for myself from the, from the fullness of God. It is Christ whose, whose fullness is being filled up in our lives by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? And so how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, he says here, go back to chapter five. He says, don't get drunk with wine for this is debauchery. Be filled with, with the spirit, be filled by the spirit. All right. How do you fulfill a passive command? All right. As, as I was reading through my very eggheaded paper, this 20 pages long and, and I thought it was wonderful. And my professor gave me a pretty good grade, but man, he had red ink all over that thing. And one of the questions that I was asking, and, and it's very difficult to answer is how do you fulfill a passive command? Okay, here's the command. Be filled by the Spirit. What button do you push to make that happen? How do you do that? Right? How do you cause yourself to be filled from without by the Holy Spirit in your life? It's a difficult thing, right? This is, this is one of the difficulties in understanding God's working in our lives. He's the one doing it. And yet if I'm drunk, for example, in this passage, I'm, I'm doing the opposite of being filled by the Spirit, Right? I have stood against it and closed the door to it, right? So I understand how to disobey the commandment. It's, it's a little more difficult to understand how to obey it. But that brings us to, to point three here in your outline, verses 19 through 21. He's going to talk about what this looks like. What are some marks of the spirit-filled walk? What are some of the marks? And he's not saying by doing these things, you will accomplish the filling of the spirit. He's saying when you are filled by the spirit, these sort of things will happen and you will be cooperating with that filling work of the Holy Spirit. All right. He says, uh, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, be filled by the spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks uh, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I have four of them there. First of all, singing to one another. So Stephanie and I were talking about this, and she said, what does that look like? Singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, I mean, we were just singing, right, together. Beyond that, I don't know. I'm, I'm not real sure. It says addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think the idea is that our communication with one another would not be mundane, would not be humdrum, would not be run of the mill, right? Would not be common, but that it would be spiritual in nature, right? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but I think it has the idea of us being very intentional in our conversation with each other, that God be honored, that we be encouraged, that the person I'm talking with, my interlocutor, be encouraged by my conversation, be lifted up, maybe even be corrected, maybe even some proof going or some reproof going on there, right? That our conversation be that intentional and be in that regard, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know what it's like to sing to a lot of people. I haven't, I've sung to all of my kids and they usually have a unique song and uh, Brianna's really hoping I won't sing her song. I won't sing her song. I made up a song for each of my children when they were little bitty tykes, right? I haven't made one up for Eva Claire yet. I'm slacking. So I haven't sung to a lot of people, 
I'm not sure what addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs looks like, but it has this same idea of us being very intentional, redeeming the time, right? Redeeming this opportunity. We're together. The sermon's going to end in a couple of minutes. You can all say amen and thank you. And then we're going to be standing up and leaving. And what are we going to talk about? Well, we're not going to talk about the football game because that's already a couple weeks old, right? What are we going to talk about? He's encouraging us to talk about the Lord. He's encouraging us to address one another intentionally on a spiritual level, on a gospel level. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to one another. And he says also singing to God. Addressing one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Meaning with all of you. That doesn't just mean I've got a song in my heart, right? It means with all that I am, I'm singing to God. I'm giving praise to God with every part of my being. With all that I am, I'm singing and making melody to God. So I'm singing to you. I'm addressing you in a certain way. And I'm singing to God. I'm declaring his praises to him and with you to him, right? That's a, that's a mark of the spirit-filled life. He goes on and he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This goes back to what we talked about last week, earlier in the chapter, uh, about thanksgiving being the antidote to coveting. Right? Coveting says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to determine what's best for me. Mean old God said I couldn't have that thing. I'm going to figure out how to get it for myself because I know it's best for me. I really want it. Right? That's coveting. Right? It's, it's kind of idolatry. They're connected, right? And we talked about how the antidote to that, the way to fight against that is thanksgiving. To understand that God knows what's best for me. He knows what he's doing. I, I want that thing. God says, no, it's not for me. All right, I trust God and I give thanks for God that he has withheld that thing from me. Right? I give thanks for what I have and I give thanks for what I don't have because God in his goodness has withheld it from me. That's the antidote to coveting. And he brings it up here again, giving thanks Always and in everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God knows what he's doing in your life. Got a bum knee? Kind of sad about that. God knows what he's doing. I'm, I'm sorry your knee hurts. And I'll pray for your knee and I hope it's better. God knows what he's doing. Got problems in your life? Got, got things that you'd really like to have? Needs you'd really like to have met and they're not met yet? I, I pray God meets those needs. Until he does that, give him thanks that he hasn't yet. Now, I'm no better at this than you are. But that's what, that's what the passage said. Give thanks always and in everything. God knows what he's doing. And that's a mark of the spirit-filled walk. That I can be grateful even when things are tough. I can be grateful when things are wonderful. I can be grateful when I want just a little bit more. But God hasn't given it to me. I can be grateful. I can be thankful, and that's a mark, giving thanks to God. And finally, in our passage here, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. First of all, I want to point out that it's out of reverence for Christ, right? I submit out of reverence for him. I submit because I'm his child, and I will do this thing. I will honor him in this way. I will revere him. I will give him glory and honor by my submission in this thing. I will not cling to and demand my own right in this situation. I will submit out of reverence for Christ. You see the difference there? One, I'm, I'm really what's most important. And the other, it's Christ who's most important. That's first of all. Second of all, we're going to go into 
Uh, we're going to go into what submission is more fully next week as we talk about verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. We're going to talk about that next week. But what is submission? What is submission? Well, it's willingly placing yourself under the authority of another. That's essentially what submission is. Willingly placing yourself under the authority of another to submit to someone. Okay? In the Bible, in the New Testament, when we read about submission, it almost always has something to do with authority. You're submitting to an authority. Whatever the relationship is. We're going to talk a whole lot more about submission next week. But what he's saying here is that... uh, one mark of the spirit-filled life is that we would be submitting to one another. That there would be an attitude of submission. Now, does that mean that we all submit to one another in exactly the same way? Does every individual in at Parkside submit to every other individual in exactly the same way? No, he's not saying that. One another doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean perfect reciprocity, that, it, that it's exactly the same for all, Right. We're going to talk again about that next week. But what it does mean is that we have an attitude of submission to authority in our midst. That we not be a rebellious people. That we not be demanding our own right. That we not be demanding our own way. But that we be submitted to the proper authorities in our, in our lives, in our structure, in our church, and in our, in our society. That we be properly submitted. The focus here, of course, is mo- mainly on church. Being submitted to one another. You, you can tell the difference. I, I'm not sure how exactly to describe uh, what a relationship looks like that is, that is uh, properly submitted. But I can certainly identify it when that's not the case. If someone has a heart that's just, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't really care what you think. And it doesn't really matter to me what position you might have of authority in my life. I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? That is the opposite of submission. Right? I'm in charge. That's, that's, that's a rebellious heart, right? And he said that's, that's not to be characteristic of us, and that is not characteristic of the spirit-filled life. Right? So as we look down our, our list here, we talk about marks of the spirit-filled walk, singing to one another, singing to God, giving thanks to God, and submitting to one another. So it has to do a lot with our relationship with one another, the way we treat one another, the way we speak to one another, right? It has to do with our relationship with God, how we talk about Him, how we talk to Him, our thanks that we give to Him or don't give to Him, right? And by doing those things, we are not making ourselves be filled by the Spirit, but we are getting in line with what He is doing. We are putting ourselves in the way of the filling of God. I'll tell you what, if, if you want to be filled by the Spirit and you just really don't want to submit, you won't be filled by the Spirit. You won't be. You're, you're, you're rebellious. And that's the opposite of what, what he's talking about here. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully. Think about your life. Think about the decisions. Think about what your foundations are. Think about what your priorities are in your life, the way you make decisions, the way you go about your week. Is the gospel tacked on somewhere to the outside of your life? Is it one of many bulletins on your bulletin board? Maybe it's even covered up by some other stuff, but it's there. Is it one of or is it the foundation? 
And that's really what we're talking about in this passage. And I, I pray for all of us. I pray for me that more and more the gospel would be foundational, that, that the truth of those things that we talked about when I first started, when we went back through and we reviewed chapter one and we reviewed chapter two of all of these blessings of God that are in Christ Jesus and they're ours, that he has made ours by his work in our lives, by taking us from death and bringing us into life and making us his children. I want those truths to be foundational in my life. I want those truths to be foundational in our conversation with one another, in our conversation with God, the way we relate to him and giving thanks to him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer about that right now. And again, your own takeaways, that last spot, that's for you to write. I haven't, I haven't told you what to put there. The Holy Spirit has told you what to put there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And this is, uh, this is a, a good pa- passage that's challenging, uh, challenging to think about. Uh, but challenging in my life because it's so uh, all-encompassing. It's not just that I need to reorder some portion of my life, but really it should be all of my life centered on Christ, centered on His work of salvation. Lord, help us to be wise in this way. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to be filled by your spirit this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.